Today my sermon is coming from the epistle lesson, which we have not yet read. The 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 16, and it's in your pew Bible on page 170 of the New Testament. If you would like to read with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 16. For the love of Christ urges us on. Because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once viewed Christ from the human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, and may we be transformed by your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Before coming to seminary, I practiced law in East Tennessee. And my firm sat only 10 minutes from the state line of Virginia. We determined in the firm that it would be to our interest if we expanded my particular practice area into Virginia. So my supervising attorney and I discussed it and decided that someone needed to take the Virginia State Bar. You can guess better me than her. Unlike Tennessee, where you can take the bar in your UT sweatshirt and jeans, Virginia is a state that is steeped in the, in the tradition of Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, and they want you to take the bar dressed as if you were going to court. So I prepared to go. I was heading to Roanoke. I threw my favorite black dress in the car. I grabbed a blazer that I thought would be just the right weight, not too hot, not too stiff, perfect for sitting all day and writing. The first morning of the exam, I feel, felt that tension that exists somewhere between confidence and absolute fear. I stood in the hallway of the convention center and I was praying. I was more like begging, God, please let me have perfect recall of property law. And it was about that time that I paused, I looked down, I looked around at the other examinees. They were all dressed in black and navy. I looked down again, and I was wearing this. I was scared. The bar examiner said, if you're not dressed for court, you will not take the bar. So here I am, standing in the middle of a sea of navy, wearing hot pink, looking like Reese Witherspoon in Legally Blonde. <laughs> I began to pray, God, make me invisible. I did take the exam that day. I showed up the second day dressed in navy. And thank goodness I passed the bar. In our epistle lesson today, 
Paul tells us we look at no one with human regard, with the eyes of human. And I wonder, is it true? Or is that merely an ideal, um, a hope for, something that we will not obtain? Does the suit make the lawyer? I will say, no, of course not. And yet we find ourselves judging people every day on what they wear. I would bet that most of the women in this room have had the experience of shopping, the pleasant experience, when you're dressed in your best. But when you walk into a store in your shorts and t-shirt, it's a whole other story. In my case, I had on a nice blazer. I paid too much for it at Talbot's. It's 100% silk. There's not a problem with the quality, but there is a problem with the color. And doesn't that bring up yet another issue? Because our society makes assumptions based on people's intelligence and their integrity by the color of their skin or the slant of their eyes or the texture of their hair. I'll be honest with you, I was raised in a very tiny town in western North Carolina. And when we talked about diversity, we meant there were some Lutherans that lived down the street. (laughs) I've heard bad comments, derogatory comments about people and people's groups. And I have a feeling that maybe you've heard those same things. And while we sit here today and we're like, I've gotten past that. I don't believe that, and I never did, and I certainly don't now. And then something happens. Maybe it's 9-11 or the news at 11. Something happens, and we find ourselves unconsciously making judgments about people. So how can we live into and up to this text today. And I know of only one way, that we can quit judging people by the school that they attended, the car that they drive, their home address, the color of their skin. And friends, that is in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can free us from the slavery of cultural perspectives. Paul knew it was true. He said, we regard no one from the human point of view, even though we once knew Christ in this way. Y'all remember Paul? He used to go by Saul. And as Saul, he certainly regarded Jesus from the human point of view. Jesus was the blasphemous enemy of Judaism. He was a threat to society, to the synagogue. Saul saw those who followed Christ as equally dangerous. Only their death would would squelch that threat. And then something miraculous happened. On the road to Damascus, Saul came face to face with the Lord. And while he was blinded by the light of God, he began to see clearly. No longer did Saul view Jesus from the human point of view, but Acts 9 tells us that when Paul regained his sight. He went to the synagogue and he began declaring, Jesus is the Son of God. Seeing Jesus as the Messiah changed his perspective. 
Now, Paul's also saying to those who were questioning his authenticity as a disciple, uh, you know, we're we're not going to judge things on the human point of view, on the outside religiosity, but on the heart and what Christ has done in my life. Being in Christ, Paul now sees through Christ's eyes. Human regard looks at how articulate people are and how academic their discussions, how successful their vocations, but Jesus says the last will be first. Blessed are the meek and blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus looks for the lost sheep and the precious but lost coin and the prodigal son. In Christ and through Christ, we are transformed. Our diversity is brought together and we become one body, a chosen race, a holy people, God's own people. And I love that. I love the hope that in Jesus Christ we can be more than we are. We can think different. We can look different. But as usual, I am finding a real tension between reality and what I call church talk. Because the truth is, we could stand here every Sunday and talk about how Christ transforms the way we look at people and the way we live. But on Monday morning, we go to work and we go to school and we go shopping and a hundred other places. And we find ourselves making judgments about people wearing pink in our Navy world. And so we are left to wonder, how can transformation be real? And it is through God's grace. If you have been a Methodist very long, you know we talk about grace all the time. There is one grace. It is undivided. But we talk about it and experience it in different ways and at different times. So we talk about the prevenient grace of God. That grace that calls us and woos us from our birth. That prompts us to long for Christ. There is that justifying grace of God, the grace when we recognize we have sinned against God and God's creation, and we are washed clean, and we are forgiven, and we walk a new life. It's the new life that I'm talking about now. It is the life where we need something else. It is sanctifying grace that we need. It is the grace that we need to become perfect in Christian love. Wesley said that through Christ's sanctifying grace, that we can expect to be made perfect in Christian love of God and neighbor. He encouraged those early Methodists, and he encourages us, go on to perfection, expect it. And I'm not talking about the kind of perfection where we no longer make mistakes or the kind of perfection where now we can explain the Trinity, but rather I am talking about the kind of perfection in living a life of holiness, in walking as Christ and having the mind of Christ and seeing through Christ's eyes. We Methodists believe that we can grow in grace grow in holy living when we participate in the means of grace. And those means are what we're doing right now, the public worship of God. As well as the ministry of the word, 
whether read or preached. We really, honest to goodness, right now, believe that God is here and God's grace is here and we can participate in it. It's a huge thing. We can be transformed even this minute. There are other ways. Holy Communion. Family and private prayer. Searching the scriptures. And even fasting. We don't talk about that one much. Fasting. God's grace is available to us. Perfecting and sanctifying grace that makes us and remakes us into the image of Christ. Who has transformed us with his love. And as a matter of fact, it's all about Christ's love. If we back up to the first verse I read you in 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says, For the love of Christ urges us on. Church, it is for the love of Christ that men and women sacrificed hours of personal and professional time over the course of many weeks to prepare for vacation Bible school, to make sure that these children know Jesus loves me. It is for the love of Christ that today on our very pews there are people whose first language is not English, who will struggle with our hymns and our readings, but for whom we are one in the body of Christ. It is for the love of Christ that we call each other brothers and sisters, despite what we wear and where we live and the color of our skin. It is for the love of Christ that we recognize those people that many call enemies are actually made in the image of God and that God longs to be in communion with them and that we, the church, are called to reach them for the sake of Christ. It is for the love of Christ that we will minister to the hungry and the homeless and the hopeless of Atlanta and not call it a drain on our tax dollar. It is for the love of Christ that we will count lives saved and not dollars we have lost. It is for the love of Christ that we will count the education and the health care of all children in Georgia to be as important as the education and the health care of the children who live in our homes. It is for the love of Christ that we recognize we are all resident aliens belonging to a kingdom that is not of this world. And it is for the love of Christ that we would dare leave 1660 North Decatur Road and we would go down to Emory Village and to Emory University and to Emory Drive and we would tell the good news that for the love of Christ we have been transformed and we will no longer look at people with the eyes of human regard. Why? Because the love of Christ urges us on Paul says we are convinced that one has died for all, and therefore all who died have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Church, there are very few things harder than being different. But we are called to be different. 
We are called to be different in the way that we think and the way that we live and the things that we do because we follow Christ, who's not of this world. We are called to be light in the darkness, salt to the tasteless, and in a very real way, we are called to put on a pink blazer in a navy suit world. I invite you this morning. We're getting ready to move into corporate prayer. It's the time of private prayer. We know God's grace is here. We know God is here. I invite you, pray with me, that we will be transformed, that we will look at people with the eyes of Christ, for the love of Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.